Hi, my name is Penny Vandersloes. I'm host of this podcast series, Shine Love and Light On, and founder of Discover Your Wild. Last year, as part of the Black Lives Matter movement, which rose to huge worldwide prominence as a result of George Floyd's death, the terrible, untimely death at the hands of a police officer. And it made me think about how we are focusing on Black Lives Matter in our own country, in Australia. And I was ashamed to learn that we don't have the same prominence and attention put on the issue here. Crystal Coburn has had the experience in the US. She has created a beautiful platform that allows people to understand how they can have conversations about race. So I thank you for being here. I'm super grateful that you're interested in how we can shine love and light on it. And I really believe Crystal's got some beautiful insights and experience that can help us do it here. Welcome to Shine Love and Light On. Today I've got Crystal Cobrain with me. She's coming um, to us all the way from the east coast of America and to share her views and experience on shining love and light on race and conversations around race. And I'm very honoured that she's here to join us. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's very kind of you. <laughs> so I first um, was attracted to Crystal's work when um, we did some online coursework together and she's got um, a beautiful way of writing and communicating and I think that's why particularly around this topic I was drawn to it because it is such a tricky one to talk about for me personally um, I felt shame and um, confronted by what if I get it wrong what if I say something and my intention is what I thought was good but it comes across and lands in a way that's offensive or inappropriate or politically incorrect or all that sort of thing. So, you know, this whole podcast is around shining love on and light on things that are taboo and secret and we don't talk about and imagine what would open up for us if we could talk about it and feel safe enough to talk about it. And that's really what you've created. It's your little area. Um, so, yeah, if you could share with us, Crystal, how you got to be there or what it is that you're really offering in this space that we can learn from mm. how did I get to be here um, <laughs> you know um, this was not planned um, so I actually um, thought I was going to be a doctor that was my plan and so I went off to undergrad and I majored in microbiology and cell science for three years and then I was, I think, taking practice MCATs and I was like, something is very wrong. I feel like I'm heading in a direction that mm. is not the direction that I think I need to be going in. And then I didn't know what to do. And I felt like I was failing because I didn't know what to do. And I ended up becoming a Ronald E. McNair scholar and did just a little bit of research on whether or not hurricanes present a disparate impact on the poor. And in the course of doing that research, I kind of stumbled into a gap. I didn't know that that's what was happening, but um, for example, you know, a really straightforward seeming, you know, recommendation like stock up on canned goods. If you're living on less than paycheck to paycheck, 
than this, you know, really well-intentioned, seemingly very clear recommendation just doesn't fit, you know, lived reality. And there was just something about that gap that I think kind of called to me. And so then I ended up um, going off to grad school and law school as a joint law and master of public policy student and, you know, ended up, you know, um, doing a couple of independent studies during that time, looking at affirmative action and the Supreme Court in higher education. And so I still, no dots were connecting, but I was just deeply drawn to um, the questions about, so why, why are we moving through the world in the way that we're moving through the world? And why does race have so much meaning that we never seem to say out loud? And just trying to explore that, I think, in every space that I found myself in. And then I worked as a judicial law clerk in the DC Superior Court. Um, I worked for about seven senior judges, a max of five at once. And because it was a trial court, um, a trial level court, it was like at the, it felt like the intersection of all of life, you know, simultaneously. And again, nothing really necessarily connected, but I was just sort of inundated and kind of taking it all in. And then um, after a couple of years, I started teaching um, and building undergraduate courses at the intersection of race and the law. And, you know, I remember being convinced that I was going to say something that was going to land me up on the front page of the New York Times. I remember thinking to myself, who am I to think I can help these, you know, brilliant human beings who are looking to me for guidance, you know, talk about race um, and just feeling really, really honestly just insecure and ill-equipped. Mm. And so at the beginning of this course, I said to my students, I don't have all the answers and I don't expect you to either. And then as I was stumbling through that process, I had some really kind of formative experiences and one example was, you know, at the time I had just um, reproduced twice back to back. And so I think I had a, a child who was like weeks old at home. And so I'd often be sitting in my car, like finalizing my prep and feeling all of this weight of like, who am I to think I could possibly do this? And so I showed up in class that day. And at this point, like we connected and I teach by asking questions. So it's very conversational and they were just quiet. And so, I mean, I, I just asked them, I said, why are you so quiet? And in that moment, I saw myself. Mm. And I saw that I was like doing the thing, like the, like I went to law school and have a master of public policy thing because I was feeling so insecure. And in the process, I was sucking all the energy out of the room. And that experience is part of how I learned about how critical it is for me to create spaces where I process my stuff around race so that I don't take my stuff and make it the center of every single conversation about race that I might be in. Wow. And then it was the feedback from my students. So my students began to say to me, I've never had a space where I could have this conversation in this way. And after teaching, um, I think I think I taught race in the law, and then I built another course called American Courts in 
American courts, race and social issues. And then I taught race and the law again and kept getting that same feedback of, we've never had a space where we can have this conversation this way. A light just sort of started to go off. And I began to wonder, well, if my students are coming from multiple racial and ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, just different pathways and walks of life and are saying this to me, then maybe there's a need for this um, in our broader culture. And so then I started consulting just via word of mouth, um, working with organizations who wanted to navigate the race conversation, but who wanted to do it through a lens of connection. And I started my podcast, Space Between Us, because there's some research that shows we learn via modeling, but there are very few pockets, you know, throughout our culture where we can just watch people have conversations about race across differences in ways that don't have to be sort of either or, or we're going to fix it all, you know, all at one time, but more of a journey through. And um, a couple of professors asked me about creating the space in the classroom. And so I wrote a book proposal um, and Rutledge Taylor Francis um, ended up offering me a book contract. Um, and that became the brave educator on his conversations about navigating race in the classroom. And now I um, continue to build my business. Um, I consult and I run a membership and I do classes and facilitations. And then um, I also serve during the day as an inclusion officer um, within a local government as a public servant. And that's sort of the, the journey that's brought me to the work. That's amazing. And congratulations on all that you've accomplished in this space from someone who came doubting whether they had you know something to offer and you've clearly found that there is and i think that's what's drawn me to you is that you are actually able to say it's okay to not know yeah. and to then inquire because it's the inquiry that allows us to learn and be open uh, one of the podcasts of yours I was listening to was that thing you were saying when we feel hatred or love and that they're not necessarily opposites, that maybe the opposite of um, love is being open. Was that how you worded it? I think it was that, uh, the idea that we could be open to a conversation rather than hating something, I think, was where it was going. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm really bad at remembering what I say. Yeah. But I um, think, like, say, a political person and a viewpoint you don't like. Yes. So, say, a politician, you think, I hate that, what they're saying. But if you can mm -hmm. be open and inquire as to why they might have that position and where they're coming from, it allows mm -hmm. us to... And I think there's, in, in our culture, there hasn't been any appreciation of our first people. I can say mm -hmm. from my education, we weren't. Mm -hmm. Apart from, they were kind of this culture that was out there and it wasn't actually, it was almost like another world. Learn mm -hmm. how they, they lived off the land and that was it, rather than actually acknowledging how we've overtaken and, and dismissed their Mm -hmm. their culture and we're starting to see it come back but other countries are doing it so much better and then we we see so much of how america's race relations have come up mm -hmm. and and are 
volatile and mm-hmm. and not necessarily ones we can exactly model because I think one of the examples that I find and be interested in your views on is even are we allowed to call people black or white or people of mm-hmm. colour and and without offending. So I, I really be interested how those mm-hmm. sorts of conversations and mm-hmm. oh, where to start, but <laughs> what, what comes up for you around why this is so challenging for people? Mm. Well, I guess um, there are a number of things that come up, but one of the biggest things is that the reality is, is that conversations about race are really conversations about human pain. So we're talking about the ways in which human beings have been cast aside, dismissed, um, told, you know, where one's place should be, um, told about whether or not one's life has inherent value, and if so, to what degree, um, told what should be enough, you know, for a human. Um, and um, and then told um, told that it's not okay to not know, or it's not okay to ask why. Um, so the pain has multiple layers. It exists both within and without, and it's navigated to varying degrees by different human beings based on the bodies that we're born into. And that combined with the reality that separation, whether it's formalized in the sense of segregation or whether it's sort of, well, that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Separation does not only affect our physical contact, it literally cleaves apart our stories. So it makes it so that it's possible for us to navigate the same space and have very little understanding of the realities that we're navigating day in and day out. And if you're a human being who is told, well, your stories and your identity do not belong, then it makes it really difficult to begin to have the ability to express the pain that one is feeling day in and day out. And then if you're a human who's told that your stories do belong, it makes it really, really hard to recognize the reality of the pain and the experiences that are missed. Mm. And so there's this gap or space that exists that can almost perpetually keep feeding into itself because of the literal disconnection of our stories, which then feeds into the fragmenting of our experiences, which then feeds into the choices that we make, which then feeds into the ways that we end up perpetuating systems and structures that end up cleaving us further apart. And so in the midst of all of that, when we also don't have permission to say the words, I don't know, or I'm not sure where to begin, or when we're not sure where to turn, where we will actually be heard, truly heard, Um, or when we can sense that our pain is being dismissed or people are being turned into projects, 
it then sort of snatches the ground of connection out from beneath us. And it leaves us feeling very ill-equipped and often factually lacking tools, the tools that we need to be able to navigate the journey. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I definitely feel like I don't have the tools. Um, I've got communication tools and, but I think there's a real fear, which we can often have anyway of making mistakes and, and yeah. even you said of being on the front mm-hmm. page of a newspaper and mm-hmm. you know, your words twisted or put out of context and and I think so often you don't then try and bridge that space with yeah. someone because you think oh I don't even know where to begin so mm-hmm. if I put my foot in it that's going to bring up the pain for that person and mm-hmm. um you know, which we feel with all different things. Like if we're talking about death with a, a loved, you know, someone who's lost a loved one, you don't even know where to begin. So you just don't. And that could be miscarriage or something. You don't ask people because it might hurt them. And I guess it's the same with race. Like, can I ask how you're feeling? Maybe you wouldn't mm-hmm. talk about that right now. So that's inappropriate. Or if I say the wrong word. Because um, I think, for example, even in Australia, we're trying to bring in the practice of acknowledging mm-hmm. the, the country first people, um, but there's rules around that. And sometimes you don't even know if you're saying it right, so then you might be offensive without mm-hmm. in, intending to be. So there's sometimes so much structure around things mm-hmm. that puts a barrier up. So then you go, oh, it's too hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know if you have that experience in, in the US as well, but I think mm-hmm. it definitely mm-hmm. comes up for us. Like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that and if I say it at the wrong time, so maybe I just won't do it. You are not alone in that challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that, that's something I hear, I think, day in and day out. And the fear and the uncertainty of not knowing where to begin is real. But then I think there are a lot of humans who feel really bad for feeling that because it feels inherently comparative. You know, it feels like, well, who am I to feel fear for not knowing where to begin when in fact there are people who identify as Black or indigenous or people of color who have been suffering under agonizing pain for centuries upon centuries. And it sounds counterintuitive, but there's this weird thing that happens where when we as individuals don't give ourselves permission to feel, it becomes harder and harder to find places to begin because we start telling ourselves all the things that we should already know and should have already done. And in the process, we take our fear of not knowing and we end up making it the center of the work that needs to be done, which often entirely by no one meaning to do so, ends up dismissing the very pain that we're attempting to begin to address in the very first place. And so one of the critical practices that I have to practice, I need to practice as someone who facilitates dialogue 
and that I often will pass along to my clients or people that I'm working with is to very intentionally carve out time and space in one's life to feel. This work is, um, it is not only factual, relational, structural, and historical. It is also sacred, intimate, and highly personal. And if we try to sort of make it completely abstract because we want to feel like we could control it, right? It feels so massive. How could we possibly unpack it? So we immediately want to contain it. It's really difficult to avoid the trap of the work itself becoming performative because it begins to become about all the things that we think we should be doing. And when we do that, we are also putting ourselves in the center <laughs> of the work that needs to be done. So carving out that space is not fluffy. Um, it's critical because as we give ourselves space within our own lives to begin to feel and ask ourselves questions, we begin to give ourselves permission to explore. And as we start to give ourselves permission to explore within ourselves and our own beings, we can slowly stop demanding that of the spaces that we are heading into in an attempt to do the work. It's interesting when you're talking, it sort of sounds a bit to me, which is something I've started to get a distinction in is a masculine and a feminine energy and in something. And it's almost like we've gone to the masculine as an approach to solve and, and like you said, create structure and systems and, and answers. Whereas, like you said, the feeling and the just being in the space of the feminine energy, which needs the container of the masculine, but is intuitive and just noticing what's coming up and, and reacting to what that is. Um, yeah, there's, there's something in that. Mm -hmm. In order to stay, so this, this work is a journey it's, it's not a light switch. You know, it's, it's not a, well, I've done these three things and now it's fixed because that becomes so dismissive and reductive because it's like we're turning people into projects, you know? It's a journey through. And ideally, it will become a journey with. But that with is something that we need to learn to create together. It's not, it's, it's not something that will just happen. So the combination of feeling and structure and choice is a major piece of what then allows us to be able to endure. But if the standard for beginning becomes, I must fix, mm -hmm. then we end up stuck before we have even started to find a way to begin. Because it's, well, I must now solve all of the reality of racism, all of the reality of discrimination, all of the reality of bias and prejudice and I, I must now yeah. exactly and so once that I <laughs> becomes the center of what we're attempting to do we not only begin to lose our ability to see and understand and connect with and value the stories and the experiences and the pain that we've missed we begin to become so consumed by our own pain of not knowing when to begin, that we just sort of become trapped. And we're just sort of cycling around in 
a shame loop, essentially, of all the things that we wish we knew, but we didn't. And as long as we're in that loop, it's very, very difficult to begin making choices that actually lead to the transformation that we're wanting to create. Wow. So interesting. So tell me, um, what are some things that people listening who probably might be to some degree in that shame loop, um, made it about themselves, or they may not even be aware that this is something that is happening. Because I think for me, only through witnessing a lot of what's happened in the US in the last 12 months Mm -hmm. is really understanding my white privilege and having conversations with my family members who go, what do you mean? What's this? We haven't done anything wrong, but not Mm -hmm. understanding what that means. Maybe if you could explain for someone listening who hasn't really got an interest in this, not because Mm -hmm. it just hasn't come up as something that they've had an awareness that might be relevant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what would you say to them to sort of shine a little bit of love and light on that? What mm-hmm. is this white privilege? What is this thing that exists that's mm-hmm. so painful for many? It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a really good question. So there's a story that comes to mind. Um, and if it's not relevant, we'll just toss it out and try again. <laughs> okay. Um, so a couple of years ago, it was the weekend. Um, and weekends are kind of like the hunger games in my house because they're tiny humans in my house. Um, so it's like survival of fitness over here. And um, I was particularly tired and I was doing a community workshop that evening. And there were three um, women who were in attendance. Um, one woman, um, like myself, I'm, I'm black. Um, so myself and um, one woman who's Latinx and one woman who's white. And while we were connecting with each other, there's like this presence that showed up in the space. And that has happened uh, with me before, but it was never quite as palpable um, as this particular evening. And so I, we all connected, it was positive, we exchanged numbers, you know, their feedback was positive, but I left feeling like a fraud. I left feeling like, who am I to think I can help anybody have conversations about race? Like, what am I doing? And why do I, why, why am I even trying to do this? And I called a friend who I've known since I was a teenager and I was telling her how I felt and she listened to me. And then she said, no, I think you're going to figure this out. And over the course of the next three to four days, I began to realize two things. One, I needed to be willing to talk about what the experience of race feels like which is not a thing I was a fan of or necessarily am a fan of now. (laughs) Um, But I realized that I needed to be willing to talk about what it feels like for me to identify as being a young black female navigating the world in this body. Mm -hmm. And uh, the second thing that I realized is that I'd stumbled face first into the space between us. And it goes something like this. There's a human being who is not born into a body of color. This human being is living in this story. This human is told that this story is the only story that exists. Then one day, this human has like a Star Wars experience where a full planet shows up right here. This human is like, what in the literal heck is happening? Why did no one tell me? How could I have missed this? And this human then immediately reaches towards human beings and bodies of color. Human beings and bodies of color are in this story. 
are told that we're in this story, but living this story. So there's a perpetual gaslighting that's happening day in and day out since birth, if not before. And this human is like, look, I see you and I love you and I care about you, but I can't unpack this pain for you because the pain that I am living threatens to cut through my very soul. So can't do it for you. So then there's like this space between us, this untouchable patch of territory that we can see and we can feel, but we can't quite name. So then I began to ask myself, okay, so what in the world am I supposed to uh, do with this information? And when have I ever experienced a crossing of the space between us? And it took me back to the classroom. And I remembered that after a few weeks, my students began to share their personal stories in connection with the material we were covering about race. There is something about the sharing of stories in an environment where we have done the work required to create mutual dignity that begins to open the doors of choice in ways that we could not have seen before. So why do I share this story in connection with your question about white privilege? Mm -hmm. Part of the function of privilege is that it helps to perpetuate and support the not knowing. Mm -hmm. It helps to preserve this dynamic of believing that this is the only story that exists. When in fact, there's another story. And in reality, there are multiple stories. So privilege is not a tool to be used to feed perpetual and endless guilt and shame. If we become aware of our privilege, we have a choice to make. We can choose the, I'm going to shame myself for what I did not know pathway or we can begin to choose to move towards the unknown. So privilege in and of itself does not need to be a destination. It can become an invitation. Mm -hmm. But in order for it to become an invitation, we need to be willing to embrace curiosity. We need to be willing to grapple with and accept that not knowing can actually become where we begin. Mm -hmm. And we need to be willing to become way more curious about our context and the spaces that we're in and begin to ask questions like, so who belongs in this space? Mm. Like who truly belongs? And who am I connected to and why? And how do I access the information that I have access to day in and day out? And how did I access the opportunities that I was able to access and continue to be able to access? Is that too connected to my relationship networks? and who's in my relationship networks and how do they form? Questions like that help to make it so that privilege is not a destination. Privilege becomes an invitation to begin to explore ways to make different choices so that we begin to see and then start to connect with the voices and the stories and the experiences that we missed. And as we begin to make different choices, we become better positioned to start transforming the spaces that we're in. Does this make sense? Uh, yes, <laughs> it's a great answer. Really good answer. I, I, I'm hearing my, or seeing it through my own lens of, yes, you're right. It's, it's how we meet people, where we go to meet people. It's how we've, being educated and noticing 
what opportunities were there to penny can you hear what's happening behind me no okay okay do you want me because i i can i can just pause i'm so sorry okay go ahead no no no. okay (laughs) but i think what you're saying is to and it's a big thing in my life right now because that's why i created discover your wild was because i don't think we are questioning how we got Mm -hmm. to where we are in our lives for all sorts of reasons and Mm -hmm. the invitation that you're giving us is to notice where Mm -hmm. where are we meeting people what job opportunities do we have Mm -hmm. and where have they come about from and Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. you're right like why is it all white this this environment Mm -hmm. that I'm living in Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. what is that about the choices we've made or the community we're living in or the, mm-hmm. the country we're living in and the choices they're making and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That piece of it. When, when, when we give ourselves permission to receive it as an invitation instead of a destination, we can begin to ask those questions, which begins to lead us to more questions like, so who is valued and why? And, and as we start to sort of ask those questions, those questions will begin to lead us towards understanding our history and understanding our context and understanding our structures and understanding choices and understanding policies. And, and the more we begin to understand is the more we begin to recognize that by treating privilege as a destination that then triggers defensiveness, we begin to block ourselves from choices that we actually have the power to make right where we are. And so I know it might sound strange, but that tool of curiosity, it's not a small tool and not curiosity as in, will you please explain your identity to me? not that version of curiosity, Um, but the curiosity that leads us towards choice, Mm. the curiosity that leads us to begin to ask questions about our everyday context, that's the curiosity that then positions us to understand, okay, all right, so by being passive, I am supporting the existence of the status quo So what is that status quo and how did that status quo come into existence and what choices might I be able to make from right where I am positioned that can point us in a different direction. One that is in fact increasing and shifting this sort of ranking of human value that we've created among us. I love that because you're actually giving someone a sense of they are empowered. There's something they can be doing right now. Mm -hmm. And it's each individual making choices that creates bigger, more systemic, systemic change. It's yeah. not like, oh, hands up. I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I, I'm overwhelmed. This is too hard. I can't do anything. I'm mm-hmm. only one person in millions, so therefore I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Three, two, yeah, what is it that I could have a conversation here? I can make mm-hmm. an invitation to someone here. Yeah. So I guess are there other things that you share with people to help them feel that they can make some changes and choices and be curious? What are some of the things that mm. you would 
sort of recommend the first step? You know, I guess I, I really want you to know if you are listening that you are capable of doing this. You really are. And, um, and I do not say that from a place of condescension or expertise, frankly, I, I just say that as a human being who is learning day in and day out how to navigate this journey myself. And that word perhaps might be of service here. It is a journey. And on a journey, there are moments of uncertainty. There are moments of confidence. There are moments of disappointment. There are moments of shock. There are moments of, I can't believe I didn't know. There are moments of not knowing, of confusion. But all of those are the pieces that help to create the journey. And so I would encourage and invite you, if you're listening, to be willing to give yourself permission to embrace your specific journey when it comes to learning how to navigate race, learning how to navigate the race conversation, learning how to become curious and open to choices that you have the power to make when it comes to race and having the race conversation and policies and, you know, where do I, you know, send my kids to school and how do I have these conversations with my kids and how do I talk about this with my family? Do I talk about this with my friends? And, you know, are we willing to cultivate spaces where we don't know? Are we willing to invite people who we may not ordinarily connect with into our spaces? Are we willing to meet people where they are? Are we willing to, respect the boundaries that people have or are we sort of demanding an explanation as we're moving through the world these are all choices that we are in fact capable of making but the making of these choices does not begin with having the answers it begins with giving ourselves permission to not know it's okay to not know that's the thing i think i've noticed for many people it's just oh it's scary out there. Like mm-hmm. anything that I don't know is dangerous, mm-hmm. is, um, you know, it's uncomfortable. And so therefore mm-hmm. we stay in so many ways in, in parts of our world, sticking with stuff that's not great, but it feels familiar, so we'll stay with it. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. another way of just how do you kind of lure people to go, because I love adventure, so I, I'm mm-hmm. willing. I'm interested. I try and encourage and 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 show people as a guide, I guess, that it's okay to be on an adventure. That's actually where mm-hmm. life is. That's where um, you're making mistakes and and doing things that aren't always fabulous makes you feel alive. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you feel that that is that something that you come and notice that people, even though they want to be curious, mm-hmm. are still mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, you are not alone. Um, Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah, you you are. Going, come on, guys. You are not alone. You are not alone. And I I suppose that. So I I, I tend to not lure people. Um, And I think the reason for that is because I really do believe that choice is sacred. I really believe that. And 
I am very disinterested in sort of creating like an alternative universe that I'm the center of, right? And so then as long as I'm the person who's, you know, in control, you know, then I'm sort of setting this, because what does it have to do with real life, right? So we all have 50 million things happening. So I'm far more interested in walking with you. That is of far more interest to me than in being the source of anyone's, of anyone's answers, because I don't see how that will sustain on the journey. And so for me, I, I'm here to walk with you. That's how I approach the work. Um, I don't have all the answers either. There are many moments when I have no idea what to say. And I am navigating the pain of race as a human. And I'm navigating it as a person who does this work. And I am more than willing to meet you where you are and walk with you because I don't think that I believe that this is a journey that people should have to walk alone. And so I don't lure. I suppose it's more of a, more of an invitation to choose to begin. And as we walk together, I will do my best to supply you with the tools that you need as you're navigating through the journey and to create spaces where you begin to practice so that you slowly begin reaching for different tools so that instead of feeling helpless, you begin to feel like you're moving towards clarity and you're beginning to lay hold of your power of choice. Beautiful. Yeah, that, but so I think something I'm learning too is I, I can't give people answers, but I can say I'm, I'm journeying, I'm exploring, and you'll do it your way. It's mm-hmm. discovering your wild and discovering mm-hmm. what will come up with you. Mm-hmm. This conversation will be different to what comes up for me and my experiences and, and yours in America are different to ours here in mm-hmm. Australia. And we're all in different places, but to know we're doing it together and willing to do it together. Mm-hmm quite beautiful as well is something that can really open up from that mm-hmm. there's possibility in connection yeah you know there's a lot of possibility there i really love the human side that you're exploring in your work i think that's something that i haven't necessarily heard um because it's stories where i think a lot of the time we go to facts first mm-hmm. Mm-hmm theories or books and and sorry <laughs> that's an awful light gosh i'm sorry mm-hmm. yeah i just really i was like mm, i should probably do something about that <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, i mean storytelling has been one of your things maybe you could tell us a little bit about the um podcast you're doing and some of the stories mm-hmm sharing in the work you're doing oh I love um I love story I think I've always um loved story and I think in this particular work I've begun to notice that stories can become a vehicle 
not only for connection, but for us to begin to grapple with the reality that's before us, you know? Um, sometimes the scale of pain and injustice and agony is so much that I think sometimes as humans, we just kind of automatically detach, you know, we're like, okay, don't know how to take that in. And there's something about story that sort of kind of helps us bring it back in here so that we can begin to connect and start to almost feel as if, okay, perhaps I can begin to grapple with the reality instead of feeling overwhelmed by my assumptions, either by what I thought was or by what I think should be or by what I feel like I should already know. It can sort of bring it here and it gives us something to connect to. And so I am, I am a story weaver. It's taken me <laughs> um, a few years to begin to, um, I, like I guess, thank you, <laughs> accept that, but that is how I do my work. Um, your stories matter to me, they just do. And um, the transformation that um, so many of us, including myself, experience as we journey together, it's not because I'm some sort of a magical anything. It's through the vehicle of story because there's something about stories that just remain. They just do, you know, even the stories that you and I have exchanged as we've just been emailing. I, it's like, it's like a, it's almost like I can see it, you know, like it's, it helps me to be able to carry a piece of you and the reality of your journey as I'm going through my everyday life. So I can begin to think of you in some way as I'm making my decisions and that might sound strange when it comes to race, you know, and the realities of racism in our history um, globally or within, you know, specific contexts. But in order to stay in the work, you've got to be connected somehow. And stories is one way to do that. Stories that I, how I've learned about the pain of race has been through mm -hmm. movies or books that I've read about, mm -hmm. it, you know, and you feel the injustice and the mm -hmm. the anger that you you know rightfully feel because of some beautifully told stories and and illustrations of how it would feel or did feel mm -hmm. for, you know um, mm -hmm. many many years mm -hmm. um, yeah so that I can see how but we forget that sometimes it's like oh that's that story it can't be mm -hmm. my story. So it's mm -hmm. a, that's how you're yeah to actually like yes. that can be in that could have been in your generation mm -hmm. your, your ancestry as well mm -hmm. the story yes the, the the story again is not the destination it can be a vehicle and it can become a vehicle that allows us to begin to get rooted right in our everyday context so that we begin to notice and see realities that we literally drove by every day. And it's, an, it's another pathway, I guess, of invitation because let's say that I listen to a story that you share, but then I say to myself, oh, well, that's nice, right? That's, that's very different 
than the with, right? If I listen to a story that you share and then I begin to contemplate what you shared and then I'm really listening as you're sharing it so that I'm listening not for my assumptions but for what you are truly attempting to convey to me as you're sharing the story, well, then I start to see you. I start to see you, not my assumptions about you, not what I thought your life was, not what I thought, who, who I thought you were. I begin to see you. And there's some realities where once we begin to truly see, there is no unseeing. And that unseeing is part of what helps to open the doors of choice because the seeing, this is why that piece about privilege is so critical. If privilege again becomes that destination that triggers defensiveness, it will become a block where we can't truly see. But if we're willing to, you know, journey and stay in the with, then we will begin to see and once we begin to see, we can start to make choices, but not choices rooted in what we thought was, but in what actually truly is. Well, I love how you say you can't unsee because that's mm-hmm. instantly when you know something's there, you behave around it, mm-hmm. don't you? It's, um, mm-hmm. like it's been in your blind spot and now you see it, you will act differently, mm-hmm. subconsciously even without without realizing it so that's a really beautiful way of explaining some of how your work's so powerful I think so people who want to listen to your podcast it's Mm -hmm. space between us so we've mentioned Mm -hmm. it your book is that something that people might be interested or is it really for an educational context It's really for an educational context. I've had some friends tell me that they read it and they are not educators and they enjoyed it. (laughs) But it was written for educators. Um, um, There are a number of classes that I'm about to release. Um, One called How to Not Center Yourself. Another called How to Find Your Voice. Um, Another called How to Talk About Difficult Things. We recently released a membership called the Racial Diversity Roadmap. It's for empathetic leaders who want to remove the fear of race and proactively create a culture of diversity on their teams. Um, I do individual and group coaching and um, I write a weekly newsletter called The Space Between Us. That's a lie. It's called A Listening Letter. (laughs) That's what it's called. So my weekly newsletter is called The Listening Letter. Um, What else? There are entities who will bring me in to do sort of deeper dive, you know, custom consulting to um, move towards transformation. Yeah. There's a number of different ways. If what Crystal's sharing and the conversation around race is something that you're wanting to um, highlight or bring you know more into your life. There's a number of different ways you could do it. The podcast, the great one, and the um, the blog, you know, weekly nice little reminders that come in are beautiful as well. Um, is there anything else that you feel we haven't really touched on that might be 
relevant to how we can shine love and light on this area in our lives day to day or mm. you know, broadly taking action to, to yeah. support yeah. removing that stigma and that fear and um, yeah. taboo around this can you think of yes. anything? <laughs> well, there's there's one thing that comes to mind, and I, I probably have said it, you know, before, but um, stay in the journey. Stay in the journey. Um, it's okay if you need to, you know, tend to your own being and pause, and but stay in the journey because your voice and your contribution, your unique context, your unique positioning is needed in this work and the transformation doesn't come from magical people having magical solutions it comes from a lot of people i'll use me i am a black woman in the united states of america who has a law degree a master of public policy and a bachelor's degree when years and years and years and years and years ago almost all of the institutions I attended probably would have been completely inaccessible to me because of the realities of segregation. And there are, I believe, millions of people whose names I will never know, who made choices that fed into the reality that I just described. So it may not seem flashy, it may not seem glamorous, it may not seem like it's big enough given so many of the influencers and people who we so deeply admire, but your choices are important and your decision to stay in the journey is important. And the way that we choose to show up and give ourselves permission to begin is important. So stay in the journey. Thank you. Because I think that's, that's the permission that some of us need to 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 take that little scary step sometimes and open a conversation with someone knowing that it mightn't have a, you know a performative follow or whatever it's just going to go where it goes or ask someone what's your experience of this and be open to listening and hearing their story we we kind of need someone just like you who, who work in this space to say it's okay to try that to do that to to journey to begin mm -hmm. start now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and begin with you yeah. begin with you give yourself permission to not know yeah. if you have a particular topic around race that you're particularly uncomfortable about set aside 15 minutes a week and get in a quiet spot and decide you know what for these next 15 minutes i'm going to do some research on this particular topic if you're worried that you're not going to have all the right words then remember you can literally say you know i don't know how to talk about this and i'm not sure where to start but this work is important and i'm committed to carving out time and space in my own life to do this work but listening to you and your experiences is a critical piece of this journey so if there's anything you're willing to share with me i want you to know that i'm here it's not that to be in the journey, you don't have to show up with a solution. You just need to be willing to begin. I love that. 
I'm going to take one, take that one on board. And I really appreciate your time today, Crystal. I know it's <laughs> we're in different time zones and your family will be calling out for you right now. So okay. <laughs> sharing um, your wisdom because, um, yeah, it's not something that we're talking about, unfortunately. It isn't. It comes up in in news reports and then it sort of fizzles out. So it's like you were saying, it's it's keeping a, a conversation and prioritising it a little bit each day or whatever we can do mm-hmm. to make change and difference. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. And I'm here. <laughs> so your website is quickly. It's um, crystalcobrin.com, um, K-R-Y-S-T-L-E-C-O-B-R-A-N as in nancy.com. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And if you enjoyed our conversation or you know someone who might be interested in listening, we'd love you to share it and rate and review it. And um, tune in next time for a conversation on Shine, Love and Light on I'd like to acknowledge the original custodians of the land that we meet on and that you listen on and pay our respects to their elders past, present and future. Shine your light, do shine your light.